The Perception Veil, a journey into the unexplained, a glimpse into the unknown, walking side by side with the unlikely. So, is it a game? Or is it a portal to communicate with the dead? A toy for a few hours of fun on a Friday night? Or a messenger capable of delivering a warning of impending doom? A Ouija board? Harmless? Or a dangerous piece not to be trifled with? It's 1983. I'm a 10-year-old kid living in Hamburg, Pennsylvania. It's a small town in southeastern PA, about 80 miles northwest of Philadelphia. My family, which consisted of my parents, my sister, and me, lived in a small row house. It was a sleepy neighborhood, but filled with kids playing baseball and kick the can and other cool games in the parking lot across the street from our house. I'm a Gen X kid, so we were basically put out of the house in the morning and told not to come back in until Mama called for supper. It was a very innocent time in my life, but we had a lot of fun for sure. There were some older kids on the block, and they were friends of mine. They weren't quite so innocent, though, but they did look after me and never put me in any direct harm or danger. My teenage sister was a bit naive, and she admired an older woman on the street named Joanne. Joanne was a single mom to three boys, twins Jason and Danny, and a baby named Shane. Jason and Danny were a few years younger than I was, but I considered them my best friends. We played together all the time. My sister liked to hang out with Joanne. I think the reason for that is that Joanne was a little rough around the edges. She was an adult who did what she wanted when she wanted, and was not out to impress anyone. So this one summer afternoon, the gang of older neighborhood kids gathered at Joanne's house with the plan to watch some television, listen to some music, smoke cigarettes. I was playing with Jason and Danny on the swing set in their backyard until they had to go visit their cousins who lived down the street. I can remember going home and finding my sister's brand new Sony Walkman. I borrowed it, knowing that if she found out, she would kill me and bury my body in the schoolyard. <laughs> I didn't really care. The Quiet Riot metal health cassette was on a constant loop in that thing. Come on, feel the noise, bang your head. Man, that was a great album. Anyway, after listening to the A-side, I got bored at home and decided to go pester my sister at Joanne's house since all the older and, you know, cooler kids were hanging out there. I wanted to be part of that group, and heck, I listened to metal, not Spandau Ballet or air supply crap, so yeah, I felt like a cool kid. When I opened the screen door of Joanne's house, I noticed all the kids sitting on the floor in a circle. They seemed quite spooked when I entered the house, and I instantly was told that I wasn't supposed to be there, and that I needed to go home right away. They leaned in such a way so that I wouldn't be able to see what was lying on the floor in front of them. It looked like some sort of board game. I'm fairly certain that, being the younger kid, 
I threatened to tell my parents that my sister was up to no good if she didn't let me stay. Well, she relented, and they all allowed me to stay as long as I didn't tell anyone about what they were doing. Whatever. I was just happy that I got my way and I was allowed to hang out with them. Now, as I reflect back on that day, I wish I hadn't stayed. One of the kids said to my sister, Are you sure it's okay in front of your brother? My sister replied that it was fine and I would behave and I wouldn't talk about whatever it was they were doing. I didn't know it at the time, but I became a silent observer to a horror story that has never escaped my mind. What I hadn't known as I walked into the house was that the older neighborhood kids, along with my sister and Joanne, were playing with a Ouija board. I had no idea what it was or what it did, but I'd find out soon enough. With the curtains drawn and the lights off in the house, they began to ask the board innocent questions. The first question that was asked was, Who are we talking to? The little triangle piece with a hole in it that I later learned was a planchette moved around the board, stopping at the letters D, A, V, I, D. David? Okay, I was thinking this game is pretty cool, but obviously the kids touching the thing were moving it themselves. They continued to ask innocent questions like, how many are here with us? And how old were you when you died? When we all could feel that something changed, something did not feel right in that room. Maybe it was something in the air. I, I began to feel uneasy. Others in the room began to feel uneasy. It was my sister who then asked, do you have anything important to tell us? Y. E. S. And then it spelled out, first, a joke. I was starting to get a better understanding of what was going on now. I asked my sister, wait, are you making it do that? Say that? She hissed at me, shh, and no. It's being controlled by David. My sister looked at Joanne, unsure what that last part meant. First, a joke? The board, or David, wants to tell us a joke? There was palpable anticipation. Everyone in the room waited anxiously for the planchette to spell out the question. What in the world could it be? What could it possibly want from us? And then that piece started flying around the board. It was mesmerizing and a little tough to keep up with the letters and put them together as words. It took a little bit of time, but it spelled out, Where does a mother salamander keep its babies? Wait, that's the joke? What kind of a joke is that? Nobody understood. We were all completely perplexed. We looked at each other with astonishment and confusion. My sister asked as coolly as she could, I don't know, David. Where does a mother salamander keep its babies? 
The planchette swirled around the board vigorously again. In a jar. Ha, 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 ha. What the heck does that mean? Now, I can tell you that at this point, everyone in the room was a little freaked out. Joanne's dog, who had been lying on the sofa asleep up to that point, jumped up and ran out of the room, obviously disturbed by something unseen. Some of the older kids tried desperately to make light of the situation, to break the terrible silence and unease. One kid said, That thing is full of crap. Another followed up with, What a stupid joke. It wasn't even a joke. Not funny, David. Lose your sense of humor when you croaked? And then the planchette began to move again, fast, spelling out, Two weeks. Fire. Two kids die. As if we hadn't been able to get the message, it went around the board again. Two weeks. Fire. Two kids die. My sister read aloud as it spelled those fateful words. Wow. At this point, everyone in the house had had enough. Joanne shouted, Okay, that's it. I'm putting this thing away and ending this now. She pushed the Ouija board under the sofa and walked into the kitchen, visibly shaken. Nobody knew what to say, or what to do, or how to act. What house? What kids? Where was this going to happen? So many unanswered questions, but... None of us had the courage to touch that thing again. We joked about taking shifts to be on fire watch for the next couple of weeks. The laughter was nervous and wasn't doing much to settle any of us down. By the weekend, I pretty much forgot about that day. I was young. I had plenty of activities and sports during the summer. Lots to do. And plus, it was just a board game. I convinced myself again that one of the older kids controlled the whole thing and was playing a really messed up joke. If only that were the case. If only it were just a joke. A not funny joke. I guess you can probably see where this story is going, though. I remember it so vividly, even now, uh, 40 years plus later. It was right at two weeks after the Ouija board messages. I was sleeping when my mom came running and screaming into my bedroom. There's a fire. We need to get out of the house right away. I was still half asleep. I didn't understand what was happening, so after following my mom halfway down the steps, I turned back around and crawled back into bed. She came back screaming at me. Now, it wasn't one of those screams where you know that your mom is like angry at you. It was more a scream of terror. A mom trying desperately to protect her kids. She picked me up and carried me down the stairs to the living room. And that's when I began to wake up. I could hear the sirens now and smell smoke. I could see the smoke outside my window, but it didn't seem like it was coming from our house. What's going on? Where's the smoke coming from? 
What's all that noise? So many questions running through my head. I still don't know if I truly understood what was happening, but soon enough, I would have all the answers. All the answers I never wanted. The questions that a kid should never have to ask. As my mom and I walked out of the front door of our home, I looked to the left, down the street, just as the flames exploded through the windows of Joanne's house. The sound was deafening. The fire was relentless. I could feel the heat from four doors down as if I were standing right next to a fireplace. Aluminum siding melting and dripping on the roofs like hot wax dripping from a candle. The sound of breaking glass and wood popping, sirens and men and women screaming became all too real for me. Suddenly, my heart sank. I didn't see anyone come out of Joanne's house yet. And they weren't on the street anywhere that I could see. Where was Jason and Danny? Where was Joanne and her little baby, Shane? I began to cry and shake. Everyone in the neighborhood, standing around in shock. Then an image that I won't ever be able to scrub from my mind. We heard the shattering of glass and we looked up to the second floor bedroom. There was Joanne. She had broken the glass and now was desperate to try to save Shane. She had to throw her baby from the second story window to firefighters below. They caught him and he was okay. And then she jumped. They caught her too. But what about mom? Where's Jason and Danny? My mom couldn't answer. Tears were rolling down her face, shaking in fear, but with hopes that maybe the twins had already made it out. They were safe, they had to be safe. The fire was raging out of control. The house was fully engulfed. Water from multiple hoses and multiple angles, and it didn't even look like it was having any effect. Still, no sign of Danny or Jason. Come on, they had to make it out. They were kids, we were kids. They're my best friends. It took another hour or so before firefighters got the fire calmed down enough to be able to extend a large ladder up to the third floor bedroom windows where Jason and Danny had been sleeping. The windows had already broken out due to the heat and the fire. The fire was still licking the ceiling of their room that I could see. A few more minutes of putting water on it and the fire was out. We waited, watched, praying, hoping, holding on to each other. Until finally, a sight that I don't think I could truly comprehend at that age. I watched as two black body bags were handed out the windows and lowered to the ground, while a white van awaited and painted on the side was a word I had never heard before. Coroner. It was what remained of Jason and Danny. They were gone. My two best friends in the entire world were gone. The image of that planchette flying around the Ouija board. Two weeks. Fire. Two kids died. 
It was two weeks later. There had been a fire, and two kids had died. We found out some news later that made the situation even more heart-wrenching. We learned that on the night of the fire, Jason and Danny were supposed to go to their cousin's house to sleep over. Something happened, I don't know, they didn't clean up their room or wash the dishes or something. And Joanne became angry with them and decided that they would stay home that night and go to bed early. She ordered them upstairs to their bedroom on the third floor and, in one more twist of cruel fate, told them in no uncertain terms that they were not to leave their room for any reason and then slammed the door. Joanne invited friends over and they had a little party that night. Of course, there was some drinking and people smoked cigarettes. The party ended. People left. She went to sleep on the second floor where Shane was sleeping in a crib in her room. But what nobody knew was that a smoldering ember of a cigarette had fallen into a couch cushion. Could there have been some spilled alcohol on the couch to act as an accelerant? Maybe. But that ember started the fire that would ultimately claim the lives of two of her children. It didn't hit me until much later that the fire started on the sofa under which lay the Ouija board, hastily shoved two weeks prior and not touched since. We found out later that Jason and Danny died of smoke inhalation. They suffocated. That's not to give you morbid details. But do you remember what the board asked? What the joke was? Where does a mother salamander keep its babies? In a jar. I guess the same thing would happen if a mother salamander put her babies in a glass jar. They would suffocate too. Isn't that right, Chris? I asked my sister that night. Her face turned white. She couldn't even bear to answer me. I don't think she knew that I had remembered the joke that David from the Ouija board had asked us. Suddenly it all made sense to me. Such an awful moment, yet it somehow made sense. And it was a few years later when I was reading Ray Bradbury's Fahrenheit 451 that chills ran all down my spine. Remember in the story what symbol the firemen had on their patch? And also remember that these firemen set things on fire, not put them out. Yeah, it was a salamander. I looked into it and Bradbury chose that because going back hundreds of years, the salamander was thought to be a creature that could withstand fire. The hair on my arms stands up every time I recount the details of that fateful night. We talked about it a little amongst ourselves on occasion, really just trying to figure it all out. Was it a warning that we could have heeded? Was it some sort of retribution because we had mocked the board or David? Was it something that was destined to happen and there wasn't anything we could have done about it? But the story doesn't end there. Thirty or so years later, my now ex-wife and I were visiting her mom 
and we saw a news story on television about a house fire that claimed the life of a teenager, and I brought up this story again. My mother-in-law visited a psychic on occasion, and she had already hired this woman to do readings for her and others in the family. Why don't I join in, and maybe there was something else I could learn? Now look, the experience I had made me a believer in the supernatural, but I also tend to maintain a healthy dose of skepticism. But what harm could it do? We visited with the psychic, and I sat through the readings of other family members with my arms and legs crossed. I was throwing off a vibe that showed I wasn't buying into anything that she was saying. Toward the end of her readings, she finally turned to me. She mentioned my grandfather's and how I would pretend to be like them on occasion. I thought, well, okay, that's true, but I'm not convinced. Then she said, I'm picking up a word. For some reason, I'm seeing bricks. Perhaps a, a stonemason? Oh, okay. And she paused. There were twins. Was their last name Mason? Stunned. At this point, I'm beginning to feel uncomfortable. Where could she possibly be going with this? I proceeded to tell her that I had friends with the last name of Mason while making sure that I was not guiding her or accidentally providing her with extra information. She interrupted and said, yes, yes, of course. They died in a fire. Do you know who they are? I wasn't sure what she meant. They are your guardian angels now, she said, with a smile on her face. And that was that. Perplexed, overwhelmed, scared, yet somewhat calm and at ease with what she had just told me. I met some friends at a local bar after that and had a beer and reflected on what the psychic had told me. From that day on, I had somewhat of a change of perspective when I think of those kids and everything that's happened. I still visit my parents' house on that street and not a moment goes by that I look at the rebuilt house just four doors down and not think of my best friends that Ouija board, or all of the events that took place that fateful summer night. And no, I have never touched a Ouija board since, nor will I ever. Some summer nights when the rain is pouring, I can still smell a faint hint of smoke in the attic of my parents' house, and the memories come rushing back in an instant. So now, I ask you, do you plan on playing around with a Ouija board? Sure, it could all be innocent fun when you and your friends place your fingers lightly on the planchette. Silly questions answered with silly responses, manipulated by a heavy-handed pal. Or, 
you just may open a shrouded door to a world that you cannot explain, cannot control, cannot close. A piece of advice? It's a door best left covered with the perception veil. Hey, this is Steve White, the host of The Perception Mail. Thanks for listening to this episode, and I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed putting it together for you. Most of the stories that I will do here are ones that were submitted to me by people who actually had these experiences. If you have had a strange experience with the paranormal, or something happened to you or a loved one, that defies rational explanations, and you would like to share that experience with me, I'd love to hear about it. Maybe it will wind up in a future episode. You can tell me about your experience at theperceptionveil at gmail.com. Also, if you like what I'm doing here and would like to support the work, you can buy me a coffee. There's a link in the show notes. Thanks again. Your support is greatly appreciated. And... I will see you on the other side of the veil soon.